So I wanted to jump back into um, verse 14 again. I, I said we covered it, but we never, never really fully covered it. Um, and again, it, it, part of in, in looking at this is, is the understanding of the type of literature that we're reading. And did, did you notice that there were a few verses in here that really don't make sense? Larry did. He shook his head yes. What, do you, what, do you, what sense do you make of that? Anybody, what sense do you make of some of these? That, that they're, they're almost like riddles, aren't they? And why is this in the Bible? Thanks for that great, wonderful, and estranged word of wisdom. <laughs> Had to be here earlier to understand. I'll, I'll explain. Larry can explain later. How's that? Anyway, well, I mean, what do you make of some of this? Remember, he shifted, and he's speaking more along the lines of parables and, uh, excuse me, proverbs, kind of proverbs, and they're, they're kind of parabolic. Parabolic means you're kind of going around about secure, securitous route around the truth, Right? Um, and hopefully, speaking of Proverbs, hopefully you guys are still reading them. I, 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 uh, I think it's really valuable, um, and I think it's going to, to pay dividends in our life and just to kind of, it's a, it's a way to in, instruct us in wisdom, which is different than being instructed on what we're to do and what we're not to do. Because what you're to do and what you're not to do, is that important? Yeah, that's the foundation of it all, I think. And, and, but, but as we grow, um, we encounter more and more things that are outside the norm. And, and so the, the wisdom literature, I think, helps us to, to, to instruct us. Now, I, I'm doing some digging, and I, I, I have a hypothesis. That's the best way I can say this. How's that? Is, do you guys know what apologetics is? Now, it used to be, essentially, back in the 70s and even the 80s, uh, it used to be we're defending uh, in defense of the faith, right? Um, one guy that uh, I liked some of his work and some of it I didn't was Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, right? Um, another one, Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. Um, those are apologetic type of writings that give uh, uh, evidence, if you will, uh, in defense of the faith. Uh, now, apologetics is not really as much that anymore. I, I, matter of fact, I'm, some of it concerns me because I think it's as much trying to tell you how to think uh, than it is anything else. Um, but my hypothesis is that apologetics for the Jews took place in the Midrash. What's the Midrash? I've told you guys what a Midrash produces. You put 10 Jews in a room, and you end up with 12 different opinions. In other words, they would... And some of the Midrash writings are they're, they're fascinating. Now they're 
they're not all like dead on, okay? All right. So you gotta if you're gonna read them, you just gotta take into account what, what it is that you are reading. But but um there 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 is a group form of working their way in understanding of what the scriptures say. Um and in some respects, that's part, and different groups would have their different type of midrash type of meetings. That's part of, with the Pharisees, where you ended up with all this expansion of Torah. Where Jesus finally said that you were teaching um, the precepts of man as the laws of God. So it can be... Uh, uh, a thing that goes too far. Um, but also, I think, particularly in, in, in the wisdom type of literature, which is not really an instruction of what to do and what not to do, but it's an instruction on, on not only um, what to think, but how to think. And it's trying to teach us to think using, is this inspired scripture? Is, is this inspired scripture? Is Ecclesiastes 7 inspired scripture? Yes, it is. So it's, it's using the inspired scripture in writings that, one, are kind of foreign to us. Two, they are really a different form of writing than even uh, than, than what was prevalent in that day. In other words, they were used to reading Torah because you have to remember Jewish culture What was the biggest thing about Jewish culture? Most in, one of the most important things about Jewish culture. The most important activity in Jewish culture. And that was to study. Those guys, and, and particularly at that time, it was really reserved for the men. But uh, those guys studied and studied every day. And they knew the Hebrew Scriptures. And, and, and I was thinking about this today. I can't remember how many books are in the Hebrew Bible. I think it's 27. Um, but they equate to our 39 in the Old Testament. They just combine some of the books. For instance, the Minor Prophets are called, it's one book, it's called the Twelve. Uh, Jeremiah and Lamentations are one book. Uh, First and Second Chronicles, one book. First and Second Kings, one book. Um, I want to say Joshua and Judges are one book. So I think I think the Hebrew Bible comes down to twenty-seven. But I I didn't I thought about it and then I got distracted and I don't really it happens right. But um, but they do equate to our thirty-nine that we have in the Old Testament. They're just in and they're in a slightly different order. Um. Anyway, um. So. Because of the way this is written, it causes it calls us to engage differently than how did I end up in Ecclesiastes eight? Anyway, it causes us to engage differently um, than we would, for example, in reading Torah. Um, but Jesus in Luke chapter twenty four affirms the three sections of Hebrew Scripture when he says. When he talks about in the law, which is Torah, the prophets, 
and the writings all are written of me. And he it, it's, uh, he's telling the two on the road to Emmaus this. And, and how, how they were slow to hear that, you know, it's, it's already embedded in the Hebrew Scriptures, is what he's saying. And he recognizes that, that in the Hebrew Scriptures, there are three main parts, law, prophets, writings. Right here, this is what we are looking at as the writings of the wisdom literature. So, anyway, uh, we, we covered some of this at, actually at length last week, but that's where I kind of want to lead off this week of this idea of the day of prosperity, be joyful, and the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed one as well as the other. All right? So that's what we're being asked to consider. So um, this word adversity, and, and we, adversity is in the New King James. Uh, does anybody, ESV, Christian Standard, NIV, have anything other than adversity in Chapter or seven, verse fourteen. You have adversity in the Christian standard. Adversity, adversity. You know what? What? Times are bad. Okay. You know what's interesting about this word? Now, now, bear with me. Okay. Bear with me on this. What's interesting about this word is the root word is and often is translated in the Old Testament evil. Evil. So adversity might be a way of cleaning this up. Adversity might be a way of Remember I told you in translations, there's always the theology of the translator that affects the word they decide to use. And, and actually, in most translations, it, it's not just one guy sitting down and doing the work. There's a, there's a group of them, right? Um, it's translated evil, misery, or distress. All right? A few things to consider. One, Solomon is writing this from the human perspective. Not necessarily from the God perspective. Because God views things differently than we do. Is that, is that a fair statement? Okay, God views things differently than we do. Um, and this word, the root of it, it, you can, it's, it's, you see it in, uh, really illustrated for us in a contrast between the root for the Hebrew word good. Uh, Deuteronomy thirty fifteen says, see, I've set before you life and good, death and evil. Evil, the same word here that's translated adversity here in, um, Ecclesiastes 7. So, there's even this idea where there are passages in the Old Testament where it talks about how someone did evil in the eyes. Same word, evil. They didn't do adversity. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Okay? 
Follow my thinking. Evil and good describe something that is moral. Does that make sense? Something is either morally good or morally evil. So this word has a moral connotation, possibly. I'm only, I'm just, I can only give you one word at a time because that's not the full um, understanding of the use of this word. Okay, so um, it can also mean misfortune. Now we're getting, we're leaning more toward adversity. Is adversity morally good or morally evil? Is misfortune morally good or morally evil? Not really. It's a situation which makes it somewhat, if you will, neutral. Okay? Um, Very well true. Yeah, it could be. Um, And the Proverbs have a bit to say about that, particularly with the evil person who takes advantage of the poor. And it's good for the evil person, but not so good for the poor. So there's a flip here going on. So um, also, I looked it up even further. This is a feminine noun. Now, what's important about a feminine noun? I have no idea. No, I'm kidding. I'll, I'll throw a few ideas out for you on this one. Now, Hebrew grammar is incredibly hard to wrap my head around. Um, but, I, but I spent a fair amount of time with this. A, Feminine noun, excuse me, a feminine noun, yes, a feminine noun acts very much the same way in the language, and that's important to to grab here, in the language of a male adjective. What's an adjective? I had to look it up. (laughs) Yeah, an adjective describes a noun. So it says something about a person, place, or thing, right? The room, noun, right, is very cold. That would be described. No, that's not an adjective. (laughs) I think it is. (laughs) The room is very cold. Hot. How's that? Better? <laughs> the room is very neutral. Thank you. It, it describes the person, place, or thing. So, if it's describing the person, place, or thing, it's not attributing in this sentence the adjective form does not attribute toward God. It's attributing it toward the day. No. 
So if it's describing the person, place, or thing, thing is, day is a thing, right? The way this is structured, then it is not necessarily pointing toward God as much as it's pointing toward the day. The day of evil, the day of adversity, the day of calamity. So it's not attributing to God his action of evil. However, then it goes on to say he appoints. That's where it gets trickier here. This is where we got off on to last week. Right, Brian? Okay. So because it's a feminine noun, it kind of takes the gravity of this being morally good or evil out of the equation. Does that make sense? The feminine noun is the word adversity. See, that's midrash right there because she's like, okay, if this is what it's saying, then there's, you're trying to make more sense of this, and that, I think that's, that's good um, because that's what this has been written for us to start. This is how we start to mine things out of this, right? There's also the thing about this word, even though it's translated evil, misery, Distress, adversity, wicked, calamity. There's also a non-moral use of the word. Which is always determined on more... Okay, in, in the Hebrew, you have different spellings. You have things called jot and tittles, for example. And you have other things as well. There are little marks that you put normally under the letters. And sometimes you have two or three underneath the letter. And so you got to, when you're reading Hebrew, you got to really look at it carefully to make sure that that weird shape, and by the way, you're reading backwards, it makes it even harder, okay? After that little shape, the, the, how many dots or how many little dashes are underneath it? Which, so it's, it's, I remember somebody, I told somebody one time, I'm never going to learn Hebrew. And they're like, well, why not? This person didn't even learn English. But anyway, um, because it's so difficult. It can change slightly the meaning of the word. I don't think that the jot or tittles in the word reflect either a moral or a non-moral meaning. That's more with the context, which makes it what? Your mileage may vary. <laughs> Thanks for that, Larry. Um, so, there is a non... Got to find mine. Oh, there is a non-moral sense. For instance, Genesis 41 talks about Pharaoh's cows in the dream. Pharaoh's cows were the inferior cows. Same Hebrew word. So it can be used um, in a non-moral sense as well. But then you get into this, surely God has appointed one as well as the other. God has appointed. That's what he's saying here. 
God has appointed the prosperity, uh, the days of prosperity. God has appointed the days of adversity. That's what he's saying. What is that? So God, God permits good and evil, which it appears he does, and, um, and it appears that it feels like evil's on a very long leash. Now, I referred to Pharaoh and the dream he had, which is in the story of who? Joseph. You remember Joseph's story, right? He, <laughs> he didn't help his own cause. Let's just put it that way. But his brothers are so mad at him, they want to kill him. And I think it was Reuben who interceded and said, let's not kill him, let's sell him. And just tell dad that he got killed by an animal, right? So he goes to Egypt, you know the story, and he's there and he's in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife comes on to him and he refuses and she gets mad and has him thrown in prison and he's in prison for a long time and he interprets the dream of the butler and the baker and and finally it's the butler who he's restored to the service of Pharaoh and eventually Pharaoh has this dream says, oh, yeah, there's a guy in prison that I met. He says, Hebrew guy, he can interpret dreams. So anyway, he interprets the dream. He's the second command in Pharaoh. Uh, fast forward, the family, because of a famine, eventually moves to Pharaoh. And Jacob, now Israel, passes away. The brothers are afraid that Joseph is going to do them under. And he tells them, basically, you meant it for evil but God meant it for good. Which is... That is a good possibility because when you just flat out read this, right? Just read it for what it's worth. Um, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider surely God has appointed the one as well as the other so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. But it, it almost doesn't make any sense, does it? So I would say that's probably what he's putting together here is that those things that we view, and again, Solomon is taking a, norm, for the most part, a human earthly view on these things. And... To use the example last week as we used uh, for Job. Matter of fact, Job uses the same word for adversity. It's even translated adversity. Can, what, you know, are you going to, uh, you know, can God bring good but not adversity? Um, it's this understanding that we really don't understand often what it is that God is doing. Because they meant it for evil. I'm sure that there were several times that Joseph must have thought. I mean, it's not recorded. So I, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't like the argument from silence. But you, you have to wonder. And Joseph was in prison. I think it was 12 years or something. Joseph was in prison for a long time. And you, you had to wonder what his day-to-day life was like. Now, he was faithful. 
He was put in charge of the prison. You know, here he is a prisoner, and he's in charge of all the other prisoners. Um, and really, the remarkable story is a guy that totally blossomed wherever he was planted, which I think is a real difficult thing to do. But he, he, he must have had that much faith. Um, but did, did he see himself, well, I'm going to be here for a while, and eventually I'll have, be able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, and I, they'll put me in charge, and I'll be the second command of the entire nation of Egypt, and eventually my brothers will be here, and I'll get to deal with them too. And you know, did you, The only thing he really foresaw that is recorded in Scripture was right before he died, he asked for his bones to be taken back to Israel, to, to Canaan, to his homeland, because he knew he was going to die in Egypt. Um, but yeah, so I think that's part of what this is talking about. Enjoy the prosperous days, and, and, but consider that God is permitting. Have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Brian? Right? There you go. I had to get you involved in this. Uh, um, have you considered my church in America? And how well are we faring in what appears to be a very long leash where God permits. Now, permitting is very different than causation. I don't think he causes. Now, but I thought about this. Can God sin? Come on, Brian, you've been really quiet. Can God sin? I know you are. I'm trying to pull you into being bad. Okay, no, can, so anything that, okay, you're done. I saw those hands rubbing together. So anything that God does, anything that he does will be consistent with his nature. So anything that he does cannot be sinful. Could say yes, you could say no. My question is, what in the world was Satan doing in the, in the garden anyway? Was he already fallen? Yes. I think he was. But even that time frame is a bit fuzzy. Yeah, why would God allow him in the garden? And even in the foreknowledge, you know, it's, it's in, in the foreknowledge of God, which you cannot factor out, but it drives me crazy anyway. You can't factor it out. You know what I mean? God knew ahead of time what was going to happen because he planned this. Obviously, he planned this. Ephesians tells us we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Now, if this is getting harder to wrap your head around and make sense of, you're on the right track. If this is starting to become more clear to you, you may not be on the right track yet. Okay? So, but this word appointed... Okay, can be used elsewhere in Scripture to describe the creative work of God. Psalm 86, verse 9. Psalm 95, 
verse 5. Psalm 96, verse 5. We won't take the time to turn there, but write them down and look at them later. God has appointed. And it's, it's, it's a word that, that really talks about God's act in, in, in the sphere of history. Uh, not only is, is, is God this transcendent, right, all, uh, this transcendent going beyond the physical uh, nature of things, but, but he's uh, also imminent. He, you know, his, his presence is, is everywhere, and, and his imminent effect in history is a reflection of his sovereignty. Because I'm big on free will, but I'm also big on God's sovereignty. And I don't consider myself either a Calvinist, Reformed, or an Arminian free will. But I, but I think the Bible clearly declares them both. And I think we do better in just receiving the inspired word of God, the, the word of God that Paul says to Timothy that's grafted in that is able to save your souls which means you have to deal, my opinion. Uh, if you can resolve this in your own head, good for you. With me, the more I think about it, the less I, I can, I, they, they, they tend to polarize, and I have to sit with the, polar, with the paradox, with the, who was it that just came in and out of my head real fast? Such things are too wonderful for me even to describe. I think Paul says something to the effect of that in the vision that he had when he looks like he went into the heavens in 2 Corinthians. I think it's around chapter 7 or so, maybe a little earlier in 2 Corinthians. Heard things too wonderful, uh, unlawful even to describe, right? And, and so... Um, this, this, this word is used even in, in Job 9 where it says, uh, it talks about God and it says he does great things that are past finding out. He does great things. Uh, Job 9 verse 10, if you want to write it down. He does great things that are past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. Now, not going to get Pentecostal on you. But there's your signs and wonders. At least one aspect. I think one very important aspect of it. That, that, that God is doing miraculous things probably all around us all the time and we are often unaware of. So I'll ask a hypothetical question that's not fair. <laughs> Back to when we talked about Job last week, right? And Brian went to the back of the book, right? Is it a fair question to ask? It is a fair thing to say yes to, question mark. Did God use Satan to accomplish his purposes in the life of Job and therefore in the life of us? Or was that just some kind of cosmic 
battle that we don't understand or some kind of cosmic uh, mistake. So God has a purpose for everything, even though, again, uh, um, and Brian and I talked about this a little bit, I think it was after Wednesday night, we just, we view these things very differently. And, and um, he's satisfied with the end of the book. I am kinda, right? I am satisfied with the end of the book, but I, to me, I read the end of the book uh, because every, and I went and looked at that. It said that he had fullness of days. That's all it says. Um, I, whether we could take that a couple of different ways, you know, um, to support e- either approach, right? Um, which I thought was fascinating because I thought there was more to it than that, and I, and I did look. Um, but so when Job finally had everything restored, received all the stuff, it, it says that he, he lived in full, the rest of his days in full. He had fullness of days. Uh, whatever that means. Um, and it can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. But he does great things past finding out, yes, wonders without number. And Paul picked up on this idea in Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So if you talk to someone who really thinks they have God all figured out, I want to say stop talking to them. Because they probably don't. Um, Paul didn't. That's what he's saying here in Romans 11. And Romans 11, he, he's capping off this incredible, un, uh, this incredible um, description of Israel being grafted back in. The one tree. Um, so... Uh, his ways are past our finding out. And that's why, you know, again, I, I look at, I'm reading the Proverbs. And I wonder how much I'm really getting out of them compared to what God intend, intended when he had those inspired and he had Solomon pen those. So I keep reading them. And I'm seeing different things. And when I, when I look, uh, look at this, again, I, I, I spent a lot of time on, particularly even last Friday, uh, wow, there's more to this than I even thought. And the, the great thing about our exchange, Brian, you and I last week, is it provoked more questions, for me at least. I don't know what it maybe gave you more answers. No, I'm kidding. But no, I, it provoked more questions which is, again, that's the midrash yet again. And so we can end up with 13 different opinions, perhaps, instead of 10 or 12. But um, Isaiah 55, and I think it says it so well, um, 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I think it goes on. I didn't include it, so I will just, I think it says, and it really underscores the idea that they're beyond your finding out. Um, But I want to look rather than throwing that out there because it may not be there. Isaiah 55, 9. Okay, for us to have, okay. Um, no, it goes on and says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, they do not return there but the water of the earth and make it bring forth and bud so that it may be, give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall, return, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Which t- fascinates me because I, how many people have you met that, that, that I shouldn't ask this, but I'm going to ask this, that, y- you know, they, they, they come to church, they've been in church for years and years, all their life, whatever, and, and then you talk to them and you're kind of like wondering, where's the disconnect here? Uh, yeah, we, we we dealt with some folks. Uh, we we did at one time. And it's like, you're in church all the time. You've been a Christian for 30, 40 some odd years, right? And And you're doing this? But this is what God declares. That his word will not return to him void. Boy, that, that puzzles me. In other, in other words, it's it's... Now, of course, there is the element of spiritual warfare. There's the element that, Cindy, you talked about earlier of living in a fallen world. But, but if you read Isaiah 55, uh, just that kind of a face value, you get the impression that we should be on this upward incline in our growth and becoming more Christ-like with every given day and every time we, we submit ourselves to the reading and the teaching of God's word, which is not always true. Or maybe it is true, but then Monday happens. Right? You guys understand what I'm saying? Or the middle of the week happens. You're like, oh, no, we're we're here. Um, And the things I want to do, Paul understood this. Romans 7. The things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing them anyway. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Right? And, And so it's this... One step forward, sometimes a step back. One step forward, a half step back. One step forward, maybe a third step back. You know, and it's, it's this slow incremental movement. But the thing is, as we progress in our Christian life, we are but one stupid, sinful decision of going backsliding, if you will, and falling back. And we probably all do that more than we even recognize. Because I think there is so much more about our Christian life. And, and thank God for God's grace. Because I think there is so much more about our Christian life that we are completely unaware of. Which is very, it's, I think that's hard for each of us to admit, but I think that's true. But in that regard, it's like, again, going back to teach me, Lord, to what? Number my days. 
that I may obtain a heart of wisdom. So if I'm going to number my days, that tells me, Lord, you're going to have to teach me to do it. Because what does that really mean? What does it mean for you to number your days? And if doing so, you will obtain a heart of wisdom. What does that all mean? Yeah, yeah. Or to consider them. The days that you have. The days that you have. I want to live in, I want to get into my late 80s. I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, we'll cut wood together. That'll keep us young, right? <laughs> yeah, what, what's interesting is I'm reading this book because I'm, I'm going to be teaching uh, the local pastor, Baptist pastors through part of it. I'm going to be leading kind of a discussion through part of it. And I like the book, but it wasn't a book that I would have chosen. And that always makes it more difficult. Um, and what, I, what I'm doing is I'm like, okay, I've got to, I don't even really care for the, some of the illustrations. But some, there's some good truth in the book, but I've got to back up and get the big picture, which is calling me to be a bit more aware. And what I'm getting out of this book so far, now if it, hopefully this makes sense, but this is, this is kind of hot off the press as of late last night. The spiritual discipline of being a disciplined person so that we might discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. I think the New American Standard uses actually that phrase that's in first timothy um but the spiritual discipline of a disciplined life so that we are aware like you talked about harp so that we are we are aware of what's going on in our life so that we are able to maintain the connection that we want to, we all want we all want to have the connection with god I, I think we all want the connection with god and and so to cap off this verse, and then you can pull out your clock. Psalm 119, verse 71, it says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. It is good for me that I might be afflicted, that I would learn your statutes. 119, 71. Um, and I think in many respects, that's a lot of what this verse is saying. But there's an incredible amount, I think, that we, from last night, or last Wednesday night and this week, that we're able to glean.